I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Emily Calvo, who is a visual artist as well as a poet. She has served on the board of directors for the Poetry Center of Chicago, and when the National Poetry Slam Championship came to Chicago, she served as marketing director and in that capacity designed an absolutely dynamite t-shirt for the event. She's also co-founder and associate board member of the Chicago Slam Works since 2005. In her latest book, Lending Color to the Otherwise Absurd, she writes about everyday experiences of single parenthood, raising kids, living with an empty nest, and of her recent successful battle with cancer and leukemia. The focus of our discussion will be on the poems in this new book. I'll then be joined by Anja Naranja Seeger, who interestingly is also a visual artist and poet. Her work has been exhibited in galleries all around Wisconsin and in Illinois. She recently served as the resident narrator for the Pfister Hotel, a landmark institution in downtown Milwaukee. She also has a service called the Performance Writing Art Service, La Procette, that has been featured on USA Today Online and MSN Hotmail News. During our discussion, we'll find out exactly what a performance writing art service is all about. It's really good to have you here on Poetry Spoken here to uh, tell us about your new book. Well, it's great to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Yes, my new book is called Lending Color to the Otherwise Absurd. An interesting title. Thank um, you. Where exactly did that come from? It came from a, the shower, having oh, taking good. a shower, where all good <laughs> ideas come from. And, and uh, I had been mulling over my poetry book's title for quite a while, and I felt that really what encompassed it was that through artistic work, such as painting or writing or music, you really encounter a, a place where you need to color things with how's this, what is the mood of this, and how can I make it more positive so I can live with it. And so I... I I think life is pretty absurd, and so many things happen that are plain ridiculous and absurd. So lending color was inviting people to see everyday absurdity in a better light to deal with it. As an artist, you say you can't just say it flat out. You've got to do something with it, with oh, how you present it. Right, right. And that's where the color comes in. Yes. And because my work is both visual and verbal, the color is a very important part of, of my poetry mm -hmm. and my paintings. It, because I, I've noticed too that I reference color a lot in my poems. And um, I, th I love color. I think it's really an important part of the way we perceive the world and, and it helps to have an idea about the parts that make up an artistic yeah. project. I think Ferlinghetti would say almost the same thing, you know, because he paints as mm -hmm. well and, and just really into color, just the kind of thing you're saying. You mm -hmm. So 
as things I said in the introduction, it's fairly obvious that you are a poet of everyday life, yes. of, of ordinary experience, but you don't hesitate to face it when life gets extraordinary. And will you want to tell us about how you got into writing about your diagnosis sure. and illness? Sure. Um, yes, I've been writing for a really long time and performing and whatnot in the city, but I've been so much more often a promoter of other poets and an organizer and all the things that are in the background. Well, I, I had always thought I was going to do a collection of poetry, but because I had all these poems from all these years. And then in 2010, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it wasn't horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because it could have been so much worse and it was just stage one and they got it and I had radiation and, a, you know, it wasn't a big deal in terms of what it could be. Yes. And then I went to, um, I was pretty much getting back to life, but I was really tired and I just felt something was wrong and went to the doctor and they did a blood work and the doctor called me that night at 10 o'clock when I had just come back from an art class. And if the doctor's going to call you at 10 o'clock, it's probably not a good thing. So um, she, I felt sorry for her because she had more of a difficult time telling me what the diagnosis was than I had hearing it. Mm. And she um, was very encouraging in telling me to go to the hospital right now. And, wow. you know, so I did. And... I was in the hospital for 30 days with, you know, for treatment for leukemia, which um, gratefully, the kind that I got is very rare. The good news was it's easier to treat than most other kinds. Yeah. You don't need a bone marrow transplant or anything like that. So, so it was touch and go and for about two weeks. And then after that, it was just, what they do is they, they just knock out your immune system and reboot. Wow. <laughs> so, so that's that's what they do. And then you have chemotherapy and you have these other treatments that go on for quite a yeah. while after you're out of the hospital. But it wasn't. Um, I I I walked away from it, Charlie. I, and you started writing while you were there and about I, it. <clears throat> yes, I thought, yes. okay, this is that moment when you are. Kind of, you know, when you're in a traffic crash and, you know, the, everything kind of stops. That's how I felt. It's, mm. you know, the crash and the silence. And for 30 days, it felt like that. Like, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. I am so stuck here. Yeah. And I had a parade of visitors, which was wonderful. But I started writing a blog daily because everyone was very anxious to know what the latest turn of events are as mm -hmm. they are when anyone is in the hospital and it becomes quite a feat to keep them up to date. So I started blogging and in doing so, I could tell that my attitude was better because I was forced to not sound like a whiner. And it was, it, it was good that it kept my whole attitude in a better place. It, it seems like it ex expanded your view of your situation, or it, it didn't let you be, I hate to call it superficial, that kind of a situation, mm -hmm. but... It's true. Yeah. It's true. It didn't allow me to be 
superficial. And I remember one of my blog posts, I was, I was trolling the internet and ran across some little boy in Iraq who's, um, it was a news story of the day and, and it was one of those, you know, heartstring stories about this little boy whose mother was killed and he's about five years old and he outlined his mother's body on the floor so he could sleep next to her. And it was like, okay, I am in a first world country and I am grown up and still breathing and have food brought into me three times a day. And then there's this kid and how bad are things for him? I mean, how can you complain about anything when things are like that? You know, So, so you were fairly conscious with your motivation with this writing. Yes. That what you wanted to do. Yes. You you, you said was. you wanted to not have a monotone attitude going out to people, mm-hmm. and you really wanted to try to f- look at yourself and and uh, f- flesh it all out. I guess you'd say. exactly. I you can't. I mean, I've always really respected the power of the artistic process in helping one to heal. And I think that you know I started writing more seriously as a teenager with all the angst. And it helps angst. Of course. (laughs) And I feel that so many of us engage in the arts when we're feeling down, which is no coincidence. So that's, you know, I started writing because that's what I know how to do. And it didn't take a musical instrument or all my art supplies. And I just decided that I was going to do that. And if I was going to do it, what was I going to say? And I wanted it to be an expression of that ability to be raised up by the process. Well, yes. why don't we hear a poem? Okay, let's, let's see here. I'll take one that I wrote about. I, in my book, they're not a bunch of cancer poems, too. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people there's humor and there's a lot of different types of um, experiences that I write about because it goes through a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, let me do this one. This poem came from the breast cancer experience, actually. And it's people who have breast cancer know that they, if you're gonna have radiation, they tattoo you, all right? And these, so that they can aim the radiation equipment right in that perfect place. So uh, this was just an observation about that. It's called Three Points Mark Commitment. Her mother and I have matching tattoos scratched over our hearts, penned by a woman in white who chatted up Summerfest and weather patterns to lead my mind elsewhere. Three points construct a landing field to show where to pummel with radiation. The treatment room ceiling is canopied with blue paint and paper leaves. Machines pop and ping as the napalm drop deadens all things in its field even feelings. Her mother and I waged war with cells, knives and stitches, nerves and pills, web searches and herbs, whispers and promises. I never had a tattoo until now. I couldn't commit to one image for life. Commit for life, commit to life. So that was um, one of the poems that came out of that experience. One thing that that poetry I always find has an interest angle to it is is that it tells you about things uh, I never I never knew that I just never knew anyone had the the tattoo thing 
I mean, in addition to the feeling and the whole other thing, then there's this little factoid in there. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's that's what it is. Target drawn on you. This is an. um, I'm going to read one more. This isn't in the book, but it it reminds me of what we were talking about a few minutes ago with the the silence that kind of happens Mm -hmm. when something really traumatic happens, and it's called after the diagnosis. When cars collide, stoplights still change. After a home smolders, the lawn still grows. The doctor's voice chokes on cancer, but birds still chirp. The nurse tells me some people see life differently. I am a poet. I always see life differently. The social worker calls it a journey but doctor visits only forge a path from home to hospital and back. Whatever conspiracy prompts cells to rebel remains secret, like motives of a suicidal gunman. Evil is excised from one side, in the mirror breasts stare back at me like a child with a wandering eye. On good days, I imagine traitors are dead. On bad days, I feel stalked. I roll like a pinball, aim for the winner's circle before the game times out. And I think part of the whole illness propelled me to tackle that bucket list because if there's anything you're going to realize, it's your life is short. And I think that it helped me finally get around to doing my own book. So I have to... People say, oh, there's a silver lining, and there are, but that's my silver lining. I like, I'm a poet, I always see life differently. That is, that is. Just, we do. Yes, and it's we just, do. It just sounds great to hear it. We do. <laughs> Have it told to the world one more time. Yes, yes. How about this? What do you, what do you tell people uh, when you lead a workshop that has something to do with poetry or, or art, any like expressiveness and, and health or healing? I think it's important for people to understand so many people aren't even in touch with how they feel. And I think people need permission to indulge in that. Mm-hmm. So often they think, oh, I, I'm just, I can't talk about that or I can't, nobody's going to care about that. But people do care about that. And, and sharing is so important and I think the success of the story slam and the, all the different, the moth and, and poetry readings show that people really do care about other people's experiences and we're interested in each other. God knows there's so much stupid stuff that to listen to, you know, on the media. So I think we become more interested in each other's stories because they're real and they're not crazy orchestrated television show. So um, I think authentic. Yes, they're authentic. So. So I think it's, people need permission to feel that and whether they're going to write well or rhyme or all those different things Mm -hmm. are just you have to just say that stuff doesn't matter that stuff doesn't matter the first step is to just write and then we'll make it into something that you can feel proud of just see what you want to say right or what you have to say right and uh yeah, worry about the shaping later into a, a work of art. Yes. If you feel like going that far. Right. If you're happy with expression. Right. Great. Everyone knows, too, that journaling, in, even in, in cancer um, support groups and, and those kinds of uh, endeavors, they tell you to journal. 
that it really does help people put their feelings into perspective and learn how to be a little more positive. Yeah, definitely a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Could, could you feel it change as you were writing and the time was going by? I mean, did, did you feel more positive? I think the only time I really felt negative, I, there were only about two days in there where I felt really like, it, this could be it. Mm-hmm. This could be it. And um, I was kind of strangely okay with that. I mean... <laughs> I mean, if that's it, it's it. And there's nothing I can do about it, you know? And I have have cultivated a very kind of mystical, spiritual attitude about life, not connected necessarily to any religion, Mm -hmm. but I think there's something else, and I find that intriguing and not so much of a big, scary thing. So... um, I, there were like two days, like I said, where I thought, you know, this could be it. And they happened to be at the beginning of when I was in the hospital after a few days mm-hmm. because it is very tenuous in the first 10 days mm-hmm. in this treatment process. And after you kind of go over the hump, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of waiting for your system to click in and start making the kind of cells they're yeah. supposed to make. You know so, it's going to work. You know it's going to work. So, okay, right. Out of, the, right. out of the woods. And then you just have to wait for your immune system to come back. So yeah. so I was out of the woods about two in two weeks yeah. after that. But I, the, the odd thing is, too, I've always had a feeling throughout my whole life that something bad health-wise would happen to me in my 50s. And I was in my mid-50s, you know? And so I thought, if I can beat that, I will live to be 88. 88? (laughs) 88 was good. good It's good. That's good. You know, (laughs) you get too crotchety after that. It's not any, you know, it's not enough fun. So I was thinking about that. And when I had the whole breast cancer experience that I say wasn't really that bad, I just felt like, whoa, that wasn't really that bad. What else is going to happen? You know, I, I didn't uh, really go there expecting anything else would happen. Yeah. But the whole leukemia thing made so much more sense to me in this, you know, kind of little feelings that I have about stuff. So I thought yeah. that was kind of, you know, it was, it was funny and kind of affirming. <laughs> oh, yeah, something really bad's going to happen. So, but I felt like... I can get over this. I can do this yeah. most of the time, just except for those two days. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. And I did. Uh, another poem? Yeah, let's have another poem. Okay, another this poem. This is great. Okay, I'm going to read you uh, a poem. It has a painting with it, and okay. it has a lot of wavy lines, or kind of like the... Like I'm at, at the lake or something, at the beach yes, or something. just an abstract, and the poem is in that painting. And this is called Change. Ripples of change rattle with the consistency of breaths. I do not embrace change easily, yet while I no longer sandbag or fight the inevitable, I still stand steadfast like a child on the shore with small toes and heels planted in wet sand. With arms crossed defiantly, I face the waves, overestimate my strength until the forces buckle my knees. 
I topple like an abandoned marionette. Water fills my mouth and I am silent. I choke on change. Soak up its lessons and rise again, a buoy in a storm. My stubborn spirit is a tree trunk whose exposed tendrils crawl slowly to be fed by familiar ground. Each change rings in my core while I struggle to maintain my foothold before the next surge upsets illusions of balance. Some run from change, puffing and breathless, so often looking back, they blindly collide like pinballs, noisy, chaotic, missing points, only to fall back into a pocket with others like themselves and oblivious. Others hide from change, burrow behind walls, in small towns, in boardrooms, in mediocre marriages where change is slow, fraught with conflict and fought with tradition. Like chameleons, they change colors until they are unrecognizable as lone souls. I want to ride change like a rodeo cowboy, present in every angry jolt, or a surfer, glide on waves, drip with fanning spray, glorious willing, and know at the very worst, it will only take me somewhere else, somewhere else, and somewhere else. I like the rodeo cowboy <laughs> and the surfer right together. Love, lovely images. Just, yeah. You know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I've gotten used to things changing. I recognize they lead to new opportunities, but mm -hmm. I think when it, things are all said and done, it's like perfectly fine with me if I don't have to go through a lot of stuff. So yeah. it's so. nice to just chill for a yeah, while. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, really, it's, it's, it's really pleasant interviewing you because you speak so fluently and readily about yourself. Have you always been able to do that? Yes. I don't care what people, I don't, <laughs> I don't care what people think as long as they think it based on the truth. Like that, okay? That's my, that's my thing. I don't, I, you know, and I'm perfectly happy to be open about my life. And, you know, I don't, well, I don't have a, my well, husband would say I don't have a filter is what he would <laughs> but, but in fact, you're just, you're just obviously speaking like an artist. Yes. Who wants to put the truth out there, whether it's in words in a poem or that's, in one of your paintings or whatever. That's, that's the way I see it. That's what we do. So, that's what we do. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Charlie Rossiter. For Poetry Spoken Here, we've been talking with Emily Collier. <laughs> Thank you. That was fun. now by Anja, not Anja Seeger. Anja, it's great to have you here to talk to you, and I'm sure everyone would like to know what exactly is a performance writing art service. It's when I take my typewriter and I go out into public, and I am a writer for the people, and they can have me write whatever they want, and frequently to kind of get the ball rolling, I'll present a theme for them to choose from, be it radio waves from space or compliments or set categories like love letters, insult letters, that sort of thing. Okay, well, I, you recently posted on Facebook some uh, 
compliments that came out in a, in an evening that had that as a focus. How did how did people just come up to you and you look at them and compliment them? Oh well, yeah, you know honestly that was a bit of a flop. I made a sign that said custom flattery. And it was a really windy day, and I couldn't put my sign up because it would just fly down because it was like a block away from the lake. So I put that on the ground, and people didn't seem to see the sign so much. But um, I ended up drawing people's portraits. But I had a bunch of pre-made compliments that I um, gave to people. And so they didn't know what they were going to get, but it would be correct for them when they opened it up and they read it. So I made a bunch of those in advance, and that seemed to work pretty good. So it's like a, kind of an artistic psychic here. Yeah, some people seem to think that. So how did you get started with this? This is not something that, you know, I've seen before. Well, it was like extreme desperation. And I had $10 to my name and I went outside and I just started telling people, um, I started singing, actually, I had a song, I can help you to express the feelings you normally repress, poetry for sale, $5. And that was pretty much um, my, um, my, my first experience busking out of desperation and I really just loved the feeling of being out there in the public and serving people because I get very lonely I'm an extrovert and I think writing is traditionally a very lonely art form because there isn't a lot of community interaction in the creative process people obviously went for it uh, where what kind of places have you been been doing this I mean you do art fairs I think and Oh, I do weddings um, pretty frequently. Um, a bride and a groom might have me come and do the guest book. So I'll be at the uh, reception hall and I'll have my typewriter out and then I'll talk to each of the guests. Like, how do you know the bride and the groom? And, um, you know, how, what would you like me to wish them? And then I type it up into a little poem and the bride and groom gets to keep the poem. Sometimes I also do um poetry um wedding favors for the guests so it kind of depends on what the couple wants do you have some examples like how, how about a couple of compliments sure absolutely sure. um here's one uh this is a pre-made it could go to anyone no one knows how to open a can of soup as good as you something in your wrist motion is so dancerly suave I can tell you've been doing this gesture for a long time. I'm, yeah. I'm impressed because to my taste, you do this really well spontaneously. Um, <laughs> it's just really very cool. Do a couple more. Sure. There ain't an actor in the world who could possibly play you right in the movie version of this day right here. Sometimes I wish you were my grandparent. I could really use your wise insights more in my life. How did you get so learned? Oh, this is this is one of my favorites. You are exceptional as a gorilla hunting ants, as a woodchuck climbing a mulberry tree. Do you happen to have a, a, a an insult handy? Sure, I can pull one really? up. Oh, yeah. okay. Let's see here. Just out of curiosity, to see when you're sure. when you're not being you know upbeat and positive. Sure. And grumbling about something for yes. someone else. Hey, dung spout. 
Did I make your piggish snout twitch at calling you dumb spout? I hope so. Are you bored out of your weak as wet tissue mind? I hope so. Are you going to stub your toe later today? I hope so. You vex me so profound and so often that I have to unweave my eyebrows just to be able to see ahead of me again every time I hear your vocalizations strain out. Yet another turdy request, you're too sly to go administer yourself. Your ungrateful cheese grater. You're very funny. <laughs> that's, that's really good. Uh, Want to read something else? Sure. Oh, okay. I like this compliment a lot. I frequently find that your breath contains an aroma that smells like cinnamon, ginger, banana bread, peanut butter, and love. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. You can fall in love with somebody like that. That's beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. This has really Thank been you, great. Charlie. Okay, yeah. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This is Poetry Spoken Here. We've been talking with Anja Naranja Seeger about La Procette, her performance writing art service. You can hear more from her on our weekly podcast on River West Radio called Anja Naranja Asks. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.